All right, well, we are looking at Psalm 48. Um, and Psalm 48, in summary, is kind of a celebration of Jerusalem, right? It's a celebration of the great city of God. But from the get-go, we as 21st century Christians have a problem with this psalm. So the first problem we have, and this is specific to our area here in Bonnie Hills Lake Caddai, is we don't like cities generally. I could probably speak for most of you if you're living here, it's because you're living here because you don't want to live in Sydney, right? Many of you probably moved from Sydney recently because you want to enjoy the lovely coast, you want to enjoy the cruisy lifestyle. So when we read a psalm about a great city, we're not that excited, right? Why would you praise a city in the first place? That's the first problem. But the second problem is bigger than that. The second problem is that as 21st century Christians, we can struggle to identify with Jerusalem. Right? We struggle to identify with the idea that God would live in one place, that one city, one place would be special over anywhere else. See, because today we have the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go, don't we? God is with us whether we are in a fancy church or if we're in a school hall. There's nothing special about this school hall, but God is here with us because he goes wherever we go. But that wasn't the case for God's people for thousands of years. See, for thousands of years, God's special place was Jerusalem. The temple was in Jerusalem. That was where God was specially with his people. So I'm going to try to help us identify with this psalm a little bit today. And I'm going to do it by telling you to try to think of Jerusalem like you think about your own home. Right? As Australians, we don't really have many sacred places anymore. But I think our homes are our sacred places. See, our homes are special places for us. And we don't just let anyone generally into our home, right? It's for family, it's for friends. No one off the street can just waltz into our home. Maybe some of you are very open with your homes, but generally they're sacred places for us. And we try to keep them clean the best we can. I've started caring a lot about my grass in my backyard. I don't know why, maybe it's because I've just become a dad. But I care about my lawn, I want it to look nice, we want our houses to look nice, because they're kind of this special place for us, our homes. They're places where our family memories are made. And they're a safe place for us to retreat to after a hard day's work, or after a tough conversation with a friend. Our homes are our safe places, our sacred places. And for thousands of years... Jerusalem was home for God's people. Jerusalem, the city, was a sacred place, a safe place for God's people to come, to be protected by their God. So as we look at Psalm 48 today, we have Jerusalem. We have this great city that is celebrated in Psalm 48. It is home for God's people. So let's look at what the psalmist writes about this great city in Psalm 48. In the first three verses of the psalm, uh, we see that the psalmist rejoices over Zion. If you look at verses 1 to 3, if you've got your Bible, have it open to Psalm 48, or it's in your handouts there for you. We see this is a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. We've looked at a lot of these songs of Korah, uh, sons of Korah psalms over the last few weeks. 
And from verse 1 we read, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon, is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. There's a couple of words in here that might sound a bit strange. The first is Zaphon. What on earth is going on there? Um, Your translation, if you've got an ESV or another translation, might just say Mount Zion in the far north. And that's because Zaphon literally means the north. But Zaphon was also the name of the mountain that the Canaanite gods worshipped Baal at. In the north, they would go to Mount Zaphon to worship Baal. So here in the psalm, we have kind of Mount Zaphon held up and then Mount Zion reigns supreme. Mount Zion is the joy of the whole earth. Now, what is Mount Zion? We often hear this term a lot. Simply, Mount Zion was a hill uh, that Jerusalem was built around. And often we use the phrase, and the Bible uses the phrase Mount Zion to talk about the city, Jerusalem, right? So this is the city of God, this city that reigns supreme over the whole earth. But what makes this city great is that God is in this city. This is God's city. It says God is in her citadels. A citadel is a fortress or a castle within a city. God has shown himself to be her fortress. Mount Zion is personified as this, this woman who God is protecting. God is in this city. It is his city, Mount Zion. And what else makes this city so great and so worthy of this praise? Well, God is protecting this city and he has protected this city for generations. If you look on to verses 4 and 8, it kind of goes back into the past tense and we see there that God protected Mount Zion from the enemies. If you look at verse 4, It says, when the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish, Tarshish, shattered by the east wind. So here the psalmist, he looks back to a time when God fought for the city. And notice that God didn't have to raise even a finger in this battle. No, these kings, they join forces, they come to attack the city, and yet just the sight of the city is overwhelming for them. Verse 6 says, trembling seize them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. Now, we've had a lot of babies born uh, in our church this year, and my daughter was born a few months ago, and I saw my wife go through labor. It's painful. Yeah? Yeah, it's really painful. Right, And it's also a pain that isn't from outside, it's from within. It's this gut-wrenching, overwhelming pain that comes over a woman in labor. That is the picture of these kings, these mighty men who are coming to Jerusalem to attack it. And yet they are overcome by fear and trembling and they flee because God is protecting his city. Notice in verse 7, you, God... Talking to God, you destroyed them like the ships of Tarshish, shattered by an east wind. It wasn't the people in the city, it was God. God protected this city. That's what makes it such a great city. 
And in verse 8, we have kind of a central verse in the psalm, and he says, as we have heard, so we have seen. So obviously this psalmist has heard about this protection, but now he's seen it firsthand. In the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. God is protecting this great city of Jerusalem. And this leads the people to praise and worship God, which is a great response. If you look at verses 9 to 11, they're now within the temple. It says, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praises reach to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. So here the, the psalmist, he focuses in on the, on the temple, because the temple was the center place of worship in Jerusalem. And they are meditating on God's unfailing love. In the, in the Hebrew, this is the word that is his chesed love. This is his covenantal, promise-keeping love. See, God has kept his promises to these people to protect this city. And they worship him for that. And the temple is where they did that because that was the centerpiece of the city. The temple was where God lived. It was his house in the city. And he was protecting them. So then the final verses of the psalm encourages all those who are here in this psalm to consider all this, to, to walk around Zion. Look at verse 12. Walk about Zion. Go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even till the end. Now you might think, what is a rampart? There's lots of weird words in this psalm. Well, a rampart was a, a part of a defensive wall, right? It was the hill or the cliff that led up to where the wall of the castle stood. This psalm tells us to to go about this city, to take it all in, to look at the way that God has protected this city for generations. There's lots of language of towers and ramparts and citadels. These are all defensive structures. For God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. God is protecting this great city. Now, this all sounds great. It sounds great until, as a 21st century Christian, you consider the history of Jerusalem. So what I'm going to do now is take us on a quick tour of the Bible to get an overview of the history of God's city. And to do that, we need to understand how God has always come to live with his people. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the very first mountain, where God came down. So we're going to go back to Sinai. If you were with us last year, we looked at Exodus together, and we, we learned there that Moses, he comes out, and he sees a burning bush on Mount Horeb, which is the same as Mount Sinai. And at this burning bush, God says this to him. Now, we're going to look at a lot of Bible verses over the next five or ten minutes. I've got them on the screen for us so that it will help us, so don't feel that you have to flick through. But if you want to flick through, feel free to try to keep up. So Moses comes out onto this mountain and he sees the burning bush and God from this burning bush says this to him, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Right? God wants to call the people of Egypt out to this mountain to worship him, to be with him. And that's what happens. As we read on in Exodus, Moses goes back to Egypt and God delivers his people from Egypt and they come to this mountain. And then in Exodus 19, we read the depiction of God coming to be with his people. If you look at Exodus 19, we read this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. See, as soon as God saves his people out of Egypt, he comes to live with them. He descends on Mount Sinai to be with his people and to speak with them. But the problem was Mount Sinai wasn't the promised land. Right? God, back to Abraham, had promised that he would bring them to the promised land. So how are they going to get from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion? Well, they're going to build God a tent to travel on the road with them. And we read about that in Exodus, that God commands them to build the tabernacle. This is a tent. This is a house for God to live in with his people on the road. It's kind of God's caravan, right? And at the end of Exodus, they finish the tabernacle and we get this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. So now the home of God is with the people on the road. And they wander for 40 years in the desert, but eventually they make it to the promised land. They enter into the promised land, they build the city of Jerusalem, and then after David, Solomon, his son, would build a house for God, would build him a a permanent place for him to be in the city. And God moves into that house in 1 Kings chapter 8. They build the temple and it says, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Right, God has gone from coming down on the mountain hopping into a caravan to travel through the desert with his people, and now he finally has a place to live with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. So the Ark of the Covenant is brought into this temple to symbolise that God's moving in, right? But there's an interesting part of this story where Solomon prays for a dedication of this temple to God. And in his prayer, in 1 Kings 8, he says an interesting thing that gives us a little hint as to something bigger going on here. In 1 Kings 8, Solomon, in his prayer, says this, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built? Right? Solomon knows that God is an almighty God. How on earth is he just going to live in this temple that I have built? 
But yet he does. He comes down to live in the temple, to live in the city, to protect his people. And this is the high point for God's people. They're in the promised land. They have a temple where God is living with them. God is protecting them. This is kind of the picture behind Psalm 48, celebrating this wonderful city where God dwells with his people. But the sad part about the history of this city is this is not where it ends. As we read on in Scripture, the story starts going south. The people of God, they start taking for granted that God is with them in the city and their sin turns them away from God. So God sends the prophets to try to tell the people to turn back to him. One of the main prophets he sends is Jeremiah. Jeremiah has this word for the people. God says to Jeremiah, stand at the gate of the Lord's house, right? Stand at my house and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in the deceptive words that say, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. See, God is trying to warn his people, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to turn my back on you. Yes, I live here with you, but if you serve other gods, if you let your sin run rampant, then you can't live with me. And the sad reality is is that the people don't turn back to God. Jeremiah's warnings to them falls on deaf ears. And eventually the Babylonians come. They destroy the temple, they destroy Jerusalem, and they take God's people out of the promised land. And in Ezekiel, we read this. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. The threshold is literally the front step. Then God departed from the temple. God has left the building. God is no longer living with his people in his place. And in Lamentations, we get a quote from Psalm 48. But it's not a positive quote. In Lamentations 2, it says, All who pass your way clap their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at door to Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty? The joy of the whole earth? See, the people are mocking Jerusalem by the time of the exile. And the people of God do come back. They come back and they rebuild the city, they rebuild the temple, but it's never quite the same. And then in 70 AD, the Romans once again destroy Jerusalem. Here's a photo from a holiday that I went on with my wife last year. We went to Rome. And this is called the Ark of Titus. Now, Titus was the emperor over Rome when the Romans sacked Jerusalem. And if you zoom into that little uh, part underneath the ark there, you see this. This is the depiction of the Romans carrying the treasury of the temple back to Rome. 
You can see the golden trumpets and you can see the golden lampstand from the temple. This is an incredible low point in the history of God's people in God's place with his temple. And the great city of Jerusalem, the great temple of the Lord, has laid there in ruins ever since this day. So if this is the history of the great city of God, Jerusalem, how do we read Psalm 48 today? What does a verse like verse 8, that God makes her secure forever, or verse 14, that this God is our God forever and ever, what does that mean for God's people now? When the great city is destroyed and in rubble, you can go to Jerusalem now and you can visit maybe part of a wall or some ruins that are there, but this great city has been destroyed for over 2,000 years. How do we read Psalm 48 today as Christians? Well, although the temple was destroyed, although the Romans sacked it, although the Babylonians came, just before the second temple was destroyed, God did build a new temple. God built a new way to live with his people and he built it in Mary's womb. That's what we're about to celebrate at Christmas. That God would come to live with his people in a way that he never had before. So the temple, it was more than just a building. Remember that Solomon knew that something bigger was bigger than the temple. The temple was ultimately about God living with his people. But I don't think Solomon could have ever imagined what happened on Christmas. That God would not just come down to a building, but God would come down as a human, as a baby. Let me take you to John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is God, the Word. And then in verse 14, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The word here that the Word uh, made his dwelling among us, literally, that is, he tabernacled among us. God pitched his tent amongst humanity just like he pitched a tent in the wilderness to be with his people, in Jesus, God came to be with his people. That's why we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. See, although the physical temple may lay in ruins, and Jesus pointed his disciples to that fact, when they marveled at Jerusalem, Jesus said, this will all be torn down. But that's because the physical temple could never do what Jesus did. In Jesus, God came to be with us. And he's still with us today by his spirit. There's this wonderful picture in Acts 2 where Jesus has gone back to heaven and the people are waiting for God to come back, for the spirit to come to be with him. 
And at the beginning of Acts 2, there's this great wind, this big kind of disruption goes on, and the fire comes, and you're kind of waiting, going, where's it going to rest now? Where's, gonna, where's God going to live? Is he going to go back to the temple? Is he going to pitch another tent? But no, in Acts 2, the fire rests on God's people. See, through Jesus, God can now live with people wherever they go, by his Spirit. But what about the city? If that's the, if that's the temple, then what, what do we do with the city in Psalm 48? Well, let me take you to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. After Jesus has died and been raised again and gone back to heaven, the writer of the Hebrews writes this to Christians. He says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, Mount Sinai the tabernacle, the great city Zion, Jerusalem. They were always just a physical representation of something much greater. That's what Solomon knew when he built the temple. The great city has always been about God's people. It's been about God's people living with God. That's what the city and the temple represent. It's more than just bricks and mortar. It's more than just amazing towers. It's a picture that God is living with his people and he's protecting them. And see, that's what Jesus does for us. Psalm 48 is a a psalm that celebrates the protection of God's people forever. And that is something that is ultimately accomplished for us by Jesus dying on the cross. See, Jesus dying on the cross protected us from our greatest enemy. He protected us from the wrath of God against our sin. He protected us from the death that we all deserved. So today, we don't only get to look back at Jerusalem and marvel at how God protected his people then. No, we get to look back at the cross of Jesus. And we get to celebrate the greatest victory that was ever won on our behalf. That Jesus would protect us from our greatest enemy. That he would be the fortress. He would be the rampart. He would be the tower that would protect us from God's wrath as he died on the cross. But that's not just it. See, there is a future city in Scripture. The final place I want to take you to is right to the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 21, once again we get a picture of God's city. It's a picture of God's people living with God forever. If you look in your Bibles on the screen, in Revelation chapter 21, we see that I, the writer of Revelation, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The bride is the church of Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then in verse 22, he says this, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So there's a future city coming. The future city is God's people surrounding God, the throne of God. There is no temple there because it doesn't need to be a house. God can live with his people because sin and death are done away with. This is the future city that we look forward to and it's the future city that Psalm 48 points us to. See, Jerusalem could never have lived up to Psalm 48 because of the people's sin. But through Jesus, he has taken our sin and has allowed us to have an eternal future where we can live with God in his presence forever. So Psalm 48, it it finishes with this call to consider the great city and to tell of this great city to the future generations. So as we today consider not just the physical city of Jerusalem and how wonderful God's protection of his people were then, but now as we look at Jesus protecting us and the future of a heavenly Jerusalem, we too should tell of this to the future generations. That's why Kids Church is going on right now, that we can teach our kids about how God came to us, how he came to us as Jesus and how he protects us, how he protects us from our sin and from death. And we ought to teach our kids about Jerusalem and how that was a picture of that. But we also need to point them towards the new Jerusalem, the new city where God will one day fully protect us, where God will one day fully be able to live with us, where there won't need to be a temple for him to live in because he gets to live with his people forever. And as we teach our kids, we should also tell the world about this news. And what a better time than the lead up to Christmas when we're celebrating that God came, that God came to live with us, Emmanuel, God with us. So be willing to share the hope of Jesus this Christmas. For this is our God forever and ever, Psalm 48 says. He will be our guide even to the end. Let's pray to that wonderful God together. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the fact that you would come to be with us as a baby. Lord, not only that you would humble yourself in coming down to a temple or to a tent just to live with your people, that Lord, you would humble yourself enough to come and be one of us. Lord, this Christmas, help us not to be distracted by all the other stuff, all of the Santa Claus, all of the uh, fire engines driving around, throwing out lollies, all this peripheral stuff. Lord, focus us on you. 
Focus us on the fact that you came to live with us because you loved us so much, even though we've turned our back on you. Lord, thank you that you haven't turned away from us. Help us to share this with our children this Christmas and help us to share this with our community and the world. Help us to proclaim the good news of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this all in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.